Hello, welcome back to the H-Hour podcast. Sponsoring the podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars is the first UK-British veteran-owned cigar company in existence. This century, anyway. I can't talk for the decades in the 20th century, but certainly right now it is the first one of the 21st century. It is the only one in existence. I am behind Combat Cigars along with two other British military veterans, two other snipers, and we formed the company at the end of 2020. I was very, very, you know, it wasn't my idea. I wish it was, but it wasn't. I was very, very glad to be invited to be part of the company. We get our cigars from a family who have been rolling cigars for over 200 years. The family farm is in Colombia, where we get the cigars from. They are an incredible smoke. We've got three blends from them called the Oath of Allegiance, the Victory, and the Last Post. They're all robusto-sized cigars, and they are suitable for whether you're a cigar connoisseur or or uh, new cigar smoker. They're good for you. We've also got when I say they're good for you, they're good. Uh, they're, they're good to experience. They're not necessarily good for your health, right? It's the fucking cigar people. We've got a fourth cigar coming in, a fourth cigar coming in as well. It's a short Churchill size, so it's it's longer than the Robusto, but it's narrower. This one's called the Center of Mass. Okay, these are inbound now to the UK into our little store cupboard where we store our uh, cigar our cigar stock. When you think of cigars, when you go into an event, when you go into a wedding, when you go into a promotion, when you go into a platoon piss-up, a squadron piss-up, a company piss-up, a ship piss-up, whatever, a dining out, a dining in, and you think, we should get cigars. Think, we should get combat cigars. Combatcigars.co.uk and at Combat Cigars on your social media. Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. Do you want to surround yourself with like-minded people who enjoy fizz, care about others, and want to improve themselves on a daily basis? Of course you fucking do. Of course you do. Why wouldn't you want to surround yourself with those kind of people, okay? And you can find those kind of people and a healthy amount of stoicism at the Development Society. The Development Society, or DevSoc for short, is a community of like-minded dudes who want the best for each other from insanely cool products to weekly zoom yoga sessions there's tons to get involved with at devsock they do all sorts of stuff the best way to keep up to date with them is to sign up to their daily waves newsletter on their website their website is devsock.shop d-e-v-s-o-c.shop right go there scroll down you'll see an option to put in your email address for the daily waves newsletter do it you don't get spam you get relevant useful information to help you improve yourself and improve your situation and better yourself and get involved with those like-minded people you can also visit their shop they sell alley kit in their shop from john deere style caps to pretty pretty special mugs not your old like buckshe porcelain stuff they've got stuff in their shop you will love they had bamboo mugs at one point but i'm not sure if they're still in stock they only provide or make available their stock at certain times so if you go online and see the john deere cap is available flip and get it because it might not be available in a couple of months time they pick and choose when they want things to be available so follow the development society on online instagram and all that instagram uh linkedin facebook just look for the Development Society and go to their website, devsock.shop. Hit that Daily Waves newsletter.
Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group provide advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. Their solution incorporates risk management, satellite and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the identification and destruction of landmines and the remnants of war, and standoff explosive detection technologies. Aardvark operate in humanitarian, critical defence, security and commercial sectors in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Europe and the Americas. And it is widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearance system in the world. Following the recent acquisition of Aardvark in August 2017, the new management has sought to develop and expand the company's offerings with systems and solutions that complement the company's highly regarded status. They also have an online shop. You go to aardvark.group where they provide kit and equipment for the man or the woman operating in post-conflict zones, dodgy areas, hostile environments that can help them operate safely, securely and be ready for any eventuality. They've provided a discount code for H Hour listeners, and that discount code is H H O U R. If you enter that at checkout, you will get a discount on whatever you're purchasing. Highly recommend going there. Maybe you need a new first aid kit, maybe you need a new trauma pack, for example, or anything else you take if fancy in the shop. Get it cheaper than what everyone else gets it. Discount code is H H O U R, and their website is aardvark.group. Also sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in operations in 2008. Rugby for Heroes kicked off in 2009, organising events to raise money for military charities. They started, for the first 10 years, they started with one high-impact, highly entertaining, enjoyable event every year at Old Lemontonians RFC called the Rugby for Heroes Festival. And they have now expanded their portfolio of events to incorporate more things, different types of events. They still have their festivals going on. They have a rugby, they have a rugby for heroes festival. They have a beer and gin festival. They have a supper club. I said they have a supper club. They have multiple supper clubs going on. And I know that right now, Mikey Valance is planning the next event to be in. 2022 it's going to be in january 2022 you heard of your first sorry mike i don't know if he's dropped that information yet oh dear anyway it's going to be in january 2022 he's already held events this year as well to raise money for military charities rugby heroes have raised over 114,000 pounds for military charities since their inception in 2009 that is an incredible amount of money bringing together incredible people to do incredible things to help incredible people through dark times hard times times of need Get yourself along to a run of Rugby Heroes events. You can keep up to date with what they're doing uh, by going to the social media at Rugby Number Four Heroes. Rugby for Heroes. Rugby Number Four Heroes. And their social uh, and their website, sorry, is rugbyforheroes.org. Thank you to Mike and everybody there. I'll just see you at the next event in January. I say onto the podcast. My guest today is Julian Woodall. Julian has been on Julian. Who who calls him? No one calls him Julian. Woody. Woody has been on the podcast before, right back in 2019. He's ex-military himself. He's a bombardier. He served in, in many places, served and based in many places around the world. And uh, he has recently come back from a trip to Colditz, where he basically went through, retraced the steps of escapees, escapees, people who escaped Colditz back during the Second World War. He retraced their journey from Colditz, how they did it across the Swiss border. 
quality podcast. I learned a lot about Colditz. I learned a lot about uh, how they escaped. I learned a lot about the way the camp was. And to be honest, I didn't know much about it. Amazing stories. Woody had an amazing time out there retracing their steps. He learned a lot about the history and he imparted that knowledge on me today and now you. And he raised over a thousand pounds for the Royal British Legion in the process. This is the H Hour podcast. My name is Hugh Keir and my guest today is Woody. Enjoy. Julian Woodall, back on the podcast. Uh, number two. Number back two. on the podcast, nearly two years after your first first appearance. First off, let's crack the uh, let's crack Sainsbury's finest uh, galactic milk stout, alcohol free. Hold up the camera. Alcohol free, and uh, it's by the big Dro- big drop brewing ca- uh, company. It's a ra- it was a random buy, mate. Sainsbury's this morning. I thought it was in. Do you know what it was in? The wellness fucking section. Galactic I was I was not in the wellness stout. section for well I was looking at the opposite side of the aisle it was a wellness section and I, I thought milk stout that'll make that'll make Woody chuckle. <laughs> my my granddad and grandma used to drink stout. They Pop drink uh, the got no idea what, I got no stout. idea what it's gonna taste like. Mackie the wellness stout. section. Mackie stout. Not, not like. Oh god, let's, let's try this. Oh, lion bastards. Oh. <laughs> 0.5%. 0.5% alcohol. Yeah, but surely if you've got an, a, 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 um, an allergy, alcohol allergy, that would impact you. Would you not commit like a rash or something? Well, if you had an impact of an alcohol allergy, you'd probably just get drunk. Yeah. After 20 cans. Yeah, right, let's have a taste of it. Listen, cheers. Oh, that tastes like, um, well, it's non-alcoholic stout. It tastes like, you ever heard of rock sober? No. They're uh, they're they're um, an alcohol-free like co- a cool sort of hipster alcohol-free brand that set up a couple of years ago actually in London. To a couple of uh, guys who were they worked in the city in finance, um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, binned it off and set up Rock Sober, and Sainsbury's Galactic Milk Stout tastes just the same. But theirs is cooler brand. It's a um. I think it's an acquired taste. It's it's like the old in the old um, ration packs. Remember the Lancashire hot pot, <laughs> boiling the bags. You've been there on a patrol for two weeks, and it's the final thing you've got to eat at your rat pack. Lancashire hot pot. It's like that. I've got nothing else. I've got the Lancashire hot pot there. Bring that mic in. You fucking remember that. Oh, you moved to the mic. You've moved back, haven't you? Oh, you can sub to you, whatever you want to do. Is that better? Yeah, but it's not going to hurt you. I know. Oh, there you go. Good. Uh, okay, right. Question Question one before we get on to the actual subject matter of the podcast is, have you have you set up an Uber account yet? Mike Valance is asking. <laughs> well, the other week I did... Mike go- Valance didn't ask. I'm asking you. You're like and No, I haven't. I, I do need to... <laughs> I do need to set up. Never, and uh, listeners, just a quick one. <laughs> Don't try to set up an Uber account after you've had copious amounts of wine because everything Uber comes up, and we now need reading 
the glasses and it's going off all over the place and you're pressing Uber Eats and Uber God knows what and Uber everything. I could not actually work it out. But I will set up one as a Christmas, obviously, present uh, to myself. <laughs> In fact, now I'll, I'll do it on my birthday, my 53rd birthday. When's your 53rd birthday? Next month. When? When? The 3rd of December. Is it? I'm 40 in, I'm 40 in two weeks' time. It's great being 40. I remember it well. Why is it great? Well, it is. It's a good age. If you keep well, yourself... It's not as good as, 30, it's not as, good as 39, is it? It's worse. If you keep... Every age you... No, no, no. Every, how do you... Every age you go up, it's worse than the year before. So 40 may be a good age, but only compared to 41. What are you talking about? Right, you do what I do. Have a look at the people who are the actual the same age as you, the famous people. And that's how I look at it. I think, do you know what? I'm the same age as this person, how do you, oh, and I'm yeah, still in I've good a, shape. I've got questions here. Why, how are you aware of what age celebrities are compared to you? <laughs> what you do, you Google it. <laughs> Should we have a look? Have a look. Um, <coughs> Daniel Craig is fifty-three, if I remember uh, correctly, um, and I'm the same. I'll be, be the same age um, next month as Daniel Craig. Celebs who are forty. That's it. Uh, Hugh uh, Jackman. He's about fifty-two. I'm Jessica Alba. Oh, I'm not doing as well as her. This is going pear-shaped. <laughs> Elijah Wood can't stand him. <laughs> Meghan Markle. She's 40, not doing as well as her. Get that one. Brit Britney Spears is 39, born December 2nd. Um, Paris Hilton, Jesus Christ, my generation's mental. Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, Meghan Markle, Jessica Alba, Elijah Wood, Justin Timberlake. I've got... Justin Timberlake, hang on, I haven't finished. Alicia Keys, Tom Hiddleston, Chris Evans, Amy Schumer, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Rami Malek, got time for him. Daniel, Danielle Fischel, never heard of her. Jennifer Hudson, Alex. These are all people who are 40, by the way, not born on my birthday. Hayden Christensen, Pitbull. <laughs> Je no, he's a dog into Jesse Williams, Julia Stiles, Bryce Howard, Serena Williams, Zoe. Mate, they're all. I'm not doing as well as any of them. So that blows your theory right out of the fucking water. Anyway, anyway. anyway we digress. We digress. Tell me, right. You obviously just been on a Colditz, uh, Colditz trip, yeah. which we want to. Why has Colditz all of a sudden caught your attention, right? It's obviously a famous name to you, but I know, I'll be honest, I know nothing about it, right? Okay. What is it about Colditz and the escape? Oh my God, it's, it's belched right in the microphone. I mean, it's the old milk stout. <laughs> that, is, that is fascinating to you. Well... It was April um, of this year. I done. It was, you know, lockdown and all that. I thought I'll stick in a war movie. So I thought I've not watched the um, cold it story in years. So put it on. Uh, John Mills, who who um, plays um, um, Pat um, the Reed, who I'll explain about in a bit. And all of a sudden I thought, we've obviously been in a lockdown since March the, I think it was the uh, 23rd, 2020. These guys were in a lockdown from 1940 until 1945 in Colditz, in uh, prison in Colditz. So... <clears throat> 
I watched it, and I'm not on a holiday in years, and I thought, you know what? I fancy a holiday, but with a difference. I'll go um, to Coldidge Castle and have a look at it. You know how to treat yourself, don't you? I do, yes, I do. So it was just something spontaneous, something different. So I started, and I watched that, I googled stuff on cold hits and I started getting all the books and the more I read into the cold hits story and about the actual castle and the escapes the more I um, became in, uh, intrigued by it wanting to know actually more about it and more about it and that's where it all come from and it it, 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 it went from a spontaneous Tanya's uh, idea in April, like watching a war movie, and everyone has a movie on, don't they? And we have a movie on, and some lots of people think, I won't mind actually doing that myself. But I put the movie on, and I thought, do you know what? I'll actually treat myself, and I'll have a little trip, and I'll do that. And it started off just having a trip. Then it started off, well, instead of just going out to cold it, having a look at the museum, spending a night there, spend a few nights, why not go on the same um, escape route into actually Switzerland? So tell me about Colditz. What is the story of Colditz? It, it starts off as a castle, and it is a castle, and it was a hunting lodge. And it's, in, it's, it's near Leipzig in Germany. And it's that north south. It, it's north. Okay. Just it, it's north, but it's um, south of Berlin, and it's near the, the uh, Polish border. Okay. My 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 not, my German geography yeah. is terrible. And it's in an area called uh, Saxony, and it's got the. It's right on the banks of the um, the River Mulder, and it's high up, and you could see it for miles around. And in the First World War, it was a prisoner war camp. But no one had ever escaped from it. So after the war, it was a hospital. But then, once all the war started again in 1939, it turned then, once again, into a prisoner war camp. But it was going to be a special camp. And now it was called Offlag 4C. Colditz. Now, to get into Colditz, you had to do an escape exam. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Say that again. You had to do an escape so exam. You mean to be a staff member? No, not a staff member, a prisoner. You had to do what they actually called an escape exam. It was a bad boys camp. It was a Sonderlager. What did the exam consist of? So... In 1940, when um, Pat um, the Reed, who was Royal Army Service Corps, which is now the RLC, and Airy Neve, he was artillery, they got caught at uh, Dunkirk. Okay? What you had to do to get in, in uh, to Colditz, you have to have escaped from two other um, prisoner of war camps. And that was seen as being a bad boy. In the eyes of the Germans. In the eyes of the Germans. Okay. So what do you do 
with all of your um, eggs that are bad, you stick them in one basket. So Colditz Castle was going to be where all the bad boys went as like a, you're a failed escaper, you're going um, to Colditz Castle. That you will not escape from because in the First World War, no one escaped um, from it. So what about the exam? The exam was, that was it. You had to break out of two camps. Oh, okay. So it's like qualifications. It was a qualification. You had to, you, you had to be qualified to get the cold lips. You had to do uh, two escapes. <laughs> but the thing is, if you've got all these guys who are Army, Navy, Air Force, who've escaped from other camps, they've gone a certain distance if you get what I mean. Some were caught still in Germany, some were caught in Poland, some were caught on the Swiss border. They got and put into cold eats. But then all they do is actually debrief each other. How far did you get? I got there. Well, how come you got caught? All, all the paperwork's changed. There was one guy, a Dutch officer, and if you got caught escaping out of a prison war camp, you actually sent back. If you look at all the war movies, all the prisoners who were caught out of that camp are sent back to the same camp. And look at him, he's a failure. That's how the Germans are thinking. Yeah, put them all in one place so they can debrief each other. That's one of the uh, that's one of the ways in which they reckon a couple of the of the Islamist Islamist extremist groups have been. I don't think Al Qaeda came about like that. They think ISIS came about like that because yeah. of things like Guantanamo Bay. We got all the lunatics in the same place and able to communicate. I mean, not all the time, but able to communicate. Yeah, and um, another and like and the big camps in um, maybe not Guantanamo Bay is a bad example, but certainly big camps in Iraq for example yeah. and you stick all of these brains because they're brainy people in there, and they can come up with the, the next crazy idea when they leave you know? oh yeah all these escape artists in there a Dutch officer got as got uh, to a place called uh, Zingen and I've been there which I'll explain later and this was 1940 and the Germans was that confident they would win World War Two. A German officer who actually questioned him said, if you'd have gone 300 metres through that wood, no, um, um, 300 yards through that wood, you'd have got over the Swiss border. So when he got sent back uh, to Colditz, you normally did a 20-day or a 30-day um, solitary confinement. Straight away? Straight away. A solitary confinement. As soon as they come out of that, escape officer gets me in, and the Dutch officer told them this. <laughs> if you go 300 yards, don't go that way, go that way, you'll end up over the border in Switzerland. It's not marked, and there's no sentries, and they go straight over the border. So did what happened in cold it was it a mass escape? No, it wasn't a mass escape. That like mass escape that happened in March nineteen I need to get this right, nineteen forty three. So when you say that mass escape, I've got no idea. I just was guesstimating. So uh, the, the Great Escape. That was Was that Colditz? No, that was no. Stalag 
Luftthreig. That was at Zagen, which is now in Poland. Kolditz had, they uh, uh, tried a group of 12 and they uh, got caught. The reason why they got caught was because they, they used to, in Germany, no one had obviously chocolate and stuff like that. So what they used to do, these guys had actually bribe a guard. They'd say, oh, you know, I've got some spare chocolate here. And they told a guard, and what they did is actually um, build a tunnel in the, the uh, canteen. Built it uh, to go out. And they said over to the guard, if you can look an opposite way, <coughs> oh, um, bless you, if you can look an opposite way, we'll obviously give you 100 um, um, Reichsmarks. And what he did, he told... Germans, so as they uh, came out of the hole, they had a hatch. As they obviously came up, they uh, got caught. What they worked out was it was best escaping in obviously twos and fours. And some of the stuff they actually, it, it was ingenious how they actually escaped. Go on. Well, Airy Neve, his first attempt um, failed. And he's um, a second attempt. Was this via a tunnel? Yeah. No, he walked out. Hang on, talk me through this, Woody. Come on, you can't. Go on. He walked out the camp gate. How did he manage that? What he did, all the Dutch army uniforms were sold by the Germans in 1939. So they looked uh, just like the German uniforms. What they used to do is... Is obviously turn off his service clothing into uh, um, civilian clothing. So they got a Dutch army jacket, cardboard, and boot polish, but made a belt out of cardboard, made a holster, used uh, Dutch army trousers. For the German boots, they it was all officers in Colditz who wore in those days um, the brown boots. So they uh, blackened up all their boots. And the Germans had high boots, like um, um, the riding boots. They made... So, sorry, so, so the Dutch prisoners were all officers and they had brown boots? All officers in Colditz. It's all officers. The prisoners? Yeah. All but the prisoners. German officers, they had black boots? Yeah, the German right. officers had obviously black boots. So what they did, they had um, high boots... They called them the jack boots. To imitate the German boots, they got cardboard and they made it black. And the boot polish again. They got the old army service caps, used metal, melted it down, and made cap uh, badges. Then what they did underneath these obviously jackets was um, civilian obviously clothing. We got the prisoners' courtyard. So you get from the, you have to you've got to get from the prisoners' courtyard into what they call the uh, common Avdanchir, uh, the main German quarters. To do that, there was a theatre. Above the theatre, sorry, below it, what was an empty room. The next room down was the German officers' mess. So what they uh, decided on 
are doing, getting in, going from the theatre under the floorboard into the empty room, which then has got a staircase going into the German officers like mess. What they had to do was with um, the bravado is walk out of the German officers' mess because if any guard saw them seen coming from the German officers' mess going across the actual castle courtyard and there's two gates. You've got a main gate there. There's a guard room. You go through the through that main gate but then over the bridge or the moat there's another gate. So what they did... I think it was that was d d d d March 1942. Was it January? One the two. They got in, walked out to the German quarters as officers, walked up to the German guard, and saluted him. Went through that gate. That gate shut, and there used to be a gate off uh, to the left hand uh, side. They went through that little gate, over the moat, over the barbed wire, then walked along the street off uh, to the left, and all this stuff is still there. They went then through another gate, which is not there anymore. By this time, all the cardboard's getting a bit obviously soaking wet. <laughs> then past the German quarters, which is on the actual left-hand side, they then got out, and it leads on uh, to a street. Then took off the actual field caps, stuck them under a bush, took the jackets off, stuck those under a bush, and they used to wear a cap like that. It was called, in those days, a, a gold blimey man's hat. You say a cap like that for people listening. Okay, so I've got on a, a gold blimey man's cap. Um, if you. It's like Peaky Blinder cap, that's it, what it's like. It's, it's a, it's a, a Peaky, Peaky Blinder cap. They made all those uh, all those uh, caps out of um, the blanket they're ticking. You know the old army ah. blankets? It it was made out of that. One of the guys in Colditz, he made a sewing like uh, um, machine out of wood. So they walked past there. They walked from there to a place called... Leisneg, then caught the train from Leisneg um, to Leipzig as uh, civilians. And then other train journeys. And they got over the Swiss border. So they got out then? They got out. Oh, yes. Uh, they, they were, how they got out of ways is amazing. That was our first home run. It was called a home run. Ever? Uh, no, from Colditz. From Colditz. The, the, the first ever British home run. From Colditz. From Colditz. Uh, the first ever British one, Erin Eve. So did they? So what about the tunnel? That got obviously found out, but they then built another tunnel. This is after this the home run, right? This yeah. Is after the first home. Oh run. yeah. There was all loads of tunnels. How were they building a tunnel though in the fucking canteen? When I'm assume, but when it was. I know you said they they, got, they would get the guard to turn a blind eye inside, but uh, the balls to do that. Oh, my As God, it was amazing. Away. Did you see the tunnel? Yes. How big are we talking, mate? We're talking... I. It's... We had a look at the French one. They found the French tunnel in uh, 2003. 
What do you mean they found the French tunnel in 2003? A digger um, collapsed it in. They had a little digger closer to a wall and all of a a hole opened up and the tunnel led into a former storeroom and it had been a, um, a, I think it was a wine cellar. And the French were going in and they used to steal tools. They got camp electric and all lights going or a fat lamp and the fat lamp it was in like an old baked bean tin with loads of wax and a piece of uh, cotton and they would dig and I'm not joking if this thing had ever collapsed in on them it'd have killed them right right and these have like a stooge system as well a what system a stooge what's that like if anybody any German obviously guards uh, came along they'd obviously have a have a whistle or a tune or something like that or 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 just go open a book I'll so a person that's seen that opening a book another one and go thumbs up or thumbs down how long how uh, cold it's how far did the tunnel have to go what kind of distance are we talking well the thing is about obviously cold it it was built on obviously sheer rock so a few of the tunnels, they, the actual, um, the French one took a nine or ten months of going through rock, chiselling away at it. So they then had to think of other ways. When uh, the pat uh, reeds got out the night of the 13th and, th- and the 14th of 1942 in the October, he dropped out of the window with three other guys, ran across the courtyard, crawled behind some uh, bushes, and there was a potato store. They uh, picked the lock of the uh, potato store because another thing they were actually doing is like nicking the keys and making the copies of them. And there's a, a story goes in 93... They were doing a tour of the castle. And the two guides said, unfortunately, I can't obviously get in here because I don't have a key for it. And a little old man went, have a try of this. Opened up. He said, she said, how did you get that? He said, I was a prisoner here. I made it. Nah. Yeah. It, they were that ingenious. But they got in uh, to the, uh, the potato store I came across an opening about that big. Like two, like foot and a half by a foot? Yeah. In a cul-de-sac. And they couldn't go back now. So I started uh, chipping away in it, at it. The only way to get through it is actually strip off naked. So what they did is stripped off naked and they had to go out backwards that way. So if you imagine, you've got a hole up there, that took crawl through naked right one of the guys was a bit portly and he had to be pulled through so they took off all the clothes shoved them outside then crawled through I think it took them something like four hours and these guys were like what to go through the hole yeah just that little gap yeah determined her to escape but the funny story is 
opposite where they actually came out, there was a house. And the man is now a very old man who lives in it. When those four guys escaped, he saw them escape. He's only a little boy. And he told his mum and dad, I've just seen four naked men <laughs> crawl out of a hole at the castle. And they said, don't tell lies. It's, it's not right. And it was them escaping. But he said, look, you know, I've seen f um, four naked men. How big is the castle? It's massive. Go, but quantify it. Go. I'd say it's. Well, I don't know. I'm not too obviously good on obviously meters and well, stuff. Well, compared right? to Kenilworth Castle, for example. Kenilworth, it's about. It's larger than that. It's larger. Can you than any that. more specific than that? It's. Um, Windsor it, Castle compared to that. Well, I've never been there. It's. Let's say it's. It, it's about the same as uh, Kenilworth. I'd say. But it's more robust. Mm. Well, Kenilworth's falling apart. I mean, this is just... You can see why all the Germans actually thought it was escape-proof. And every time an escape happened, that's actually changed all the tactics. Did Colditz have an existing tunnel system anyway from previous? Only the drains. Some of them had to go up actual drains as well. Uh, on the outskirts of the castle there's a green field and it was the exercise area and it had a manhole cover and the Dutch officers this one day um, all in a circle it's a bible class and there's apparently a Dutch officer who had a cloak on with a big beard the black beard and he kept um, fidgeting And what they'd done, they'd got hold of the manhole cover, unscrewed all the bolts, and made the bolts with out of glass, and then painted them. Glass? They somehow found some glass. They made them. What would happen in the... Do you know, I don't know if you know, but what, what would happen, for example, at Colditz, in the aftermath of an escape within the camp? What had happened was, this is this is now actually quite interesting. All all of the they would have a thing um, called an appel, a roll call. What was the word you used? Appel. Appel. Okay. A p p e l, and they'd have a a roll call, and they had a system where they'd actually do a count. And what they'd do is one, two, three, four. And then a person had uh, dropped down, run, and then stand up in another place and stick on a cap or something like that. And the Dutch officers actually made a dummy. And there was a photo of it. And it was a lifelike uh, dummy. So they'd, they'd actually march out with a dummy and stand there with a dummy. And hope that the German officer counting would not notice it was a dummy. Yeah, and if... The actual Germans caught prisoners out. They use a code word, mousetrap. So the home guard, the um, the police and army, and actually go out searching for them. Oh, yeah, it was quite um, ingenious how they got out. Another guy, he vaulted over 
but the fence, the French guy did. They were doing, yeah, they were doing leapfrogs, and his mate. They were like you cup your hand. What what do you mean they were doing leapfrogs? You you know a leapfrog. You know a person's bent over and they jump over the back. Yeah, you kept doing that, doing that, just messing about. Yeah, so you know, no, no, it was exercise. You so know, the guards would not think anything of yeah. it. Yeah. You know on the old assault courses, you can get a wall and you do that. You know, Put your hands together. Step have your hands together. What they did was, over the fence, the 10-foot fence, barbed wire across the top of it, his mate stood up against the fence. The German uh, guard just uh, stared at him. He did that. And he threw put him over the top of his hands on his lap, and he vaulted his, over. Hands, so, so that that drill you do up against the wall, you yeah. kneel down, you put your hands on your thigh, and your mate jumps up, steps onto your hands on, on his thigh, and then he chucks you over. He so did he got over the fucking fence like that. He got over the fence like that. He did a runner. He nicked a bicycle. He cycled all the way uh, to Switzerland on it. In a pair of trainers, a pair of daps, as we used to call them, a pair of socks, a pair of shorts, a shirt, and a tank top. Crazy. Another guy ever to come out of the exercise area that his squadron leader called uh, Padden, and his nickname was uh, Never a Dull Moment. And they're coming out of the exercise, he was a British prisoner. And there's a group of them, and they, apparently this blonde, gorgeous German Fraulein is walking past. And they all said, oh yeah, how are you? And all right, and she was all snotty nose, ignored them. Anyway, she uh, dropped her watch. So I um, pattern and picked it up, and Fraulein, uh, your watch. And she's going, no, 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 it's your watch, it's your... Not what the German guard got uh, suspicious. Starts taking interest because these German Aussie woman's going nine nine. So the German starts talking uh, to her, then realise that she couldn't speak any any German, and then she happened to be a he, uh. a lieutenant Abule of the um, the French army. He's, um, the wife had actually sent him a blonde wig and a pair of stockings from home. And the French officer who um, vaulted over with the wire, when they searched his quarters afterwards, he put all his stuff in a box and saying, can you mail it to <laughs> so-and-so, so-and-so in France? Oh, my God. <laughs> Necky bastard. Oh, God, yeah. So what did you, what was your plan? When you went to Coldest October last year then, what did you do? So did you follow um, the... This year. Uh, this year? This year. Last month, this year. Last what year. did you do? Was well, you plan to follow the escape route of... Uh, yes. So you started at Coldest, obviously. Yeah. What did you do before you got there? Did you go straight there? What I did, I got a, I got a flight from Birmingham to Berlin. Then from Berlin, I got a train to a, a place called uh, Trandorf. And I got there, and it was an abandoned railway station, 
when I'm in abandoned, abandoned, and you're thinking, oh, I go off at the right bloody stop here. Uh, and there's a bus stop, and I got a bus um, to cold it. And you walk up, I must admit, I had a lump in, in like my throat because all the prisoners came in by a train, and the stations now are closed at the cold ditch. And they were marched all through all the streets up there. And it was a psychological thing because you've got this big, massive castle, Schloss, as it's called in Germany, Schloss. And as you go up there and you go through that one gate and then another gate, and then you've got the guard room, the other guard room, and then you've got the actually prisoner's courtyard, and that's it. And it's now a youth hostel. It's now a youth hostel. The station? The the uh, castle's a youth hostel. Oh. So I stopped it. Is he really? It's a youth hostel. No way. Yeah, it's a youth hostel, and it's also a music academy. So I stopped in the actual German quarters. But it was everything that I wanted it to be. So your, sorry, so your room in the youth hostel was where the German quarters were? Yes. When it was a... And it was bunk beds, and it was great because I had a little table, four chairs, and these bunk beds. It was obviously on suite as well, but I wouldn't have had that in obviously World War Two. <laughs> but it was everything I could have wanted because I wanted to get in uh, to the mind of the actual prisoners. So, um, one of the things as well was I decided I, I'd eat what all the prisoners ate, which wasn't much. So they were allowed um, two bottles of beer every night. Yeah. Two can rule. Two can rule. Yeah, I remember those days. The two can rule. I had on the first evening um, potato soup and two uh, sausages and some bread. And, also, and um, the breakfast was actually more than a prisoner had because I had two um, the rolls with two slices of cheese and uh, two slices of ham and a mug of coffee. They would have a bowl of oats, say, and Ertz coffee. Ertz uh, coffee is made out of acorns, okay, and it was black coffee. No sugar in it. How do, how do you make coffee from acorns? I man? haven't got a clue, but, but apparently that's so. There's no the coffee beans in it. No, no, no. It was World War Two. Remember? Well, I don't. But World I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, acorns. Yeah. Apparently, it was made out of acorns. Jesus, I have to look that up after this. So, I was on that. I mean, I lost weight, and the steps up uh, to the third floor where I was stopping was like that. And Steep. I, went, Steep. I went over to the museum on the Friday. So I walked all the way down the steps over to the museum. And they said, have you got your COVID vaccination certificate? So I had to walk all the way back and all the way up again to get my certificate. How many steps are there? Oh, my steps? God, I don't know. There was a few. Trust me, the old, <laughs> the old quads were burning. After I had my uh, tour on the... Um, Saturday morning and there's only two of us on it which is absolutely great on the Sunday that was the escape day so I'd had you know normal off seat um, the breakfast and I took a I took a roll as well 
and I had um, um, the two little uh, pieces of chocolate. But according to, in Harry Neve's book, when he escaped... Uh, and this, this is the dude who walked out with yeah, all the cardboard on. Yeah. Right. As he escaped, when he was at a station, he pulled out a bar of chocolate. The Germans hadn't had any chocolate since 1940. He stood out. So I was not uh, trying to actually play it, but experience what they've experienced. So I've only had now obviously two meals a day. I had a, a soup thing I like one evening. So I've only had like obviously two meals a day. On the actual morning, I thought, right, I'll walk out the front of the gate and then take a left. Then on the... Um, the bus in, I see the road sign saying a Lysnig. So, right to know that um, the, um, the route. The plan started going downhill from when I got uh, to the front gate. Did you get lost? They were shut. <laughs> <laughs> so, I had to about turn, go out to the back gate and past all the guards' quarters, up a hill, then I took a left. Down what time here. was this? What time did you set off? Look at eight o'clock in the morning now. I'd had breakfast. Well, a bit of it. Off I went. And the first thing I saw was this and um, the road uh, goes all the way uh, um, through a wood. And I do hill obviously walking over the Morven Hills and all that sort of stuff. And I've got woods near me. And others I started thinking, are there any wolves around here? I can't remember. And I remember hours later, I put it on obviously Facebook and about five people stuck onto Facebook that basically there's wolves in that area. And I don't mean the bloody football team either. And I reached the, the Lysneg turn off and I took it. And all the prisoners skating uh, twos or ones. But one of the prisoners, he, he escaped as a one. He got a lift off a German officer. He spoke um, fluent uh, German. But it's it's quite lonely. Because as you go in, as you walk obviously past houses, it was now a Sunday morning, you walk obviously past, all the dogs are barking. And the prisoners, right, it... it it, this is out in all the middle of nowhere. All you can see is all the German off planes. So I got her to Lysnick, and that was eight miles away, and got there. And I had to go over um, uh, to the Barnoff, which is obviously German for, for, for station. Now, when I'd actually done a bit of research, I was supposed to, tra- I was supposed to take the 1530 train, it's on the uh, train line, from Lysnig to Leipzig. Then I was going to get an overnighter down to Singen. When I got to the station at 11 o'clock, I found it. And what I'm, what all the prisoners didn't do is actually be a grey man, not standing out, not obviously talking. So you don't want an empty platform, but you don't want a full one. So... I got there, and he said, a train to Leipzig, 11 o'clock. He said, so I jumped on it. And the first mistake I made was, I'd actually walked across a field. 
And as I sat there on the train, in all this outfit I've got on now, now I've got a brown Aussie pair of boots on, a blue um, a pair of trousers and a roll neck or a jumper, and they call Blimey Man's hat. So were you trying to dress like a prisoner? Yes. Okay, go on. Get in that mindset. Yeah, mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the actual boots I got were the closest I could get to 19, obviously 40s boots. They weren't built for walking long distances, I'll put it that way. So I'm on there, and this German guy is staring at my feet. And I looked down, and there were mud splatters where I walked across the actual field. So I cleaned them off. So I got Ursa Leipzig. Luckily, I speak a bit of German. And bought a roll, and I stuck it in um, um, to my bag. Hid it away. So I got... Then I bought a ticket, the same as Erin Eve did, Leipzig to Ulm. So I bought a ticket over um, to Ulm. I did by train 627 kilometres. So I got there, and it was straight. It was history sort of like repeating itself because sat opposite me was actually two German Alpine Corps guys. Nah. Army. Were yeah. they in uniform? Yeah, in uniform. I had all the mice and their hats. The, the German uh, um, the paratrooper got on as well. And also a cavalry guy. Now, a prisoner, unlike returning back over to the UK, there was a, a unit called MI-9. They were in charge of escaped prisoners. So they would actually interview them. Who did you see? What units? So I'm sat there and I kept quiet. <coughs> you know, if you like me, a chatterbox... And you talk to people on trains. Yeah, anyone. Yeah. But as a prisoner, now it's not obviously you know, uh, 2020 to 1940s. They couldn't talk uh, to anybody. He's staring out of the window. Then I did another screw up. I went to get a coffee. They didn't have any coffee. I to have a cup, have a tea. And I sneezed. So in Germany, they say uh, Gesundheit. What's the direct translation? Don't know. Uh, bless you. Okay. I went and said out aloud, excuse me. Not a good thing. But not too bad in obviously uh, 2021, in 1941, he wouldn't have been too good. So... After reading, obviously, Pat Reed's book on this journey, Pat Reed did almost exactly the same. He went with an RAF officer called um, Harvey, I think. He got his train, obviously, tickets. He turned around in this German station and shouted out the top of his voice, Harvey, I've got the tickets. And he said, he said, I just froze with horror. Because Pete, he said, I felt like a thousand eyes were staring at him. And he said, oh, we, we just walked straight out, of the stra straight out of the station. So I got to all, and I went and had a coffee. And I sat there having a coffee. <clears throat> and by this time, I'm f feeling rather hungry and actually tired. And I worked out that I wanted to be able to get the overnight to the train. So I got... Two hours and get the train to Singen, which is where the escape has obviously went to. 
got in um, to Zingen, I thought, I ain't sleeping under a railway bridge or a bush. With two Navy officers, they were to call it escaped. And they spoke German. And they booked in to actually middle-class hotels. Middle-class? Like, no, like middle-class. Oh, sorry. Middle, sorry, my apologies. Sorry. So I thought, I ain't sleeping under a railway bridge. Using my German, I knocked on the door of a hotel and got a room um, for the evening. So I booked in. Where did you learn German? Army in Germany. In, so that, in 1941? Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> also escaping. <laughs> anyway, I left this hotel. And another guy who'd been there uh, to Colditz, a mate of mine, he said, right, how to get over all the... All, all, the escapers headed for Ramsen over the Swiss border. So he said, go along the road called the, the N34. Go at least um, five clicks. Go to a place called um, Spieshoft. Head down there and that leads um, to Ramsen. What the escapers had was an escape map. And it was hidden in like books and everything. The escape maps never showed the uh, Swiss border because if they got captured and the map got uh, took off them, the Germans would know all the crossing points. So there was one main, obviously, mapping Colditz. So the guys had to, to like memorise it. So I could have easily switched on to Google Maps and all that sort of stuff. So I walked out of the hotel and I like I like memorised all this route. But unbeknown to me, when I walked out of the hotel, it was foggy and misty like anything. Found the N34 and used my after button compass. I knew I was all right. Yeah, well, you showed me that before the podcast. Where did you get that button compass from? I bought it online. Is it like a replica of what they had? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted a real one. They're about obviously £500 or something like that. Now, how did they make? How did they make the compasses? How they make? Well... The compass is, as you can see here, I've got my pipe. The reason why I've got my pipe, because MI-9 will actually smuggle compasses inside the actual pipes. Do you smoke a pipe? No, I don't. Where did you get that from? Um, you know who smokes pipes? Who? Jared. Does he? That, that won't surprise me in the slightest. That won't surprise me in the slightest. Mate's never been having tobacco in. Well, no, it's not. It's a replica one. It's it's not a... Hey, How did they make the compass? Well, all the compasses was actually made by like like magnetising needles and stuff like that, and that's how it does. And the compasses were actually hidden. If you get a box of matches, and you can get all the matches, and you glue them all uh, together, you then stick a compass in a box, and stick all the matches on top of it. So if anyone opens it up, it looks like. And a lot of the RAF. But uniforms had a button compass in their buttons. Um, so I saw this sign, the big sign that said, Schafthausen, CH. CH is an abbreviation for Switzerland. So I thought, ah. And they said, underneath, uh, 21 kilometres. I thought, right, I can't go wrong. So I started heading off, thinking... 
Bramson is going to be off over to the left. It just misses anything. You couldn't see any signposts, anything like that. And there was a track on the side of the N34. So you've got the N34 there, and the track was going over. It was a cycle uh, track, a small stream and a railway. And I saw this train going obviously past me. I looked at the train thinking, I wish I'd done the same as that fucking French officer and just uh, jumped on the train. So as I'm walking down Shafthausen, 18 kilometres, and I was trying to do a time appreciation, all that sort of stuff. Starts walking, starts walking. Shaftosen, 16 kilometres. I thought, right, <laughs> it doesn't matter now. I'm heading for Shaftosen or bust. So I starts walking. And he does get lonely. And you can imagine how a prisoner felt on only, only a little food. He hasn't gotten a, a map of the Swiss border. He's obviously probably being hunted. He's hoping that people don't speak to him. So I went past uh, two workmen who said uh, good morning uh, to me. And I went, uh, I'm the Ramsen. Uh, that's it. They asked me if I was going to Switzerland. I said, yeah. I said, oh, I'm the Ramsen. Ramsen? Nay, Ramsen. Links. Off to the left. These mist-coloured hills and mountains. I thought, I'm not backtracking. I kept going. And this point, I was like, it had shaft out and five kilometres. And I was thinking, I'm going hungry now. This is getting a bit special. What kept me going was the fact that a good old, like Mikey Valance had said, why don't you start up a Just Giving page? On the Monday morning, I'd raised... £636 for the Royal British Legion. So I kept going. And it is a lonely, you know, you start to think, I don't know, hardly any food, hardly any sleep. Kept going. So I ended up in a little village. No signpost on it. And then I saw a little sign, a cycle uh, track, Shaftdowson, three hours. By this time, I'd, I'd started off at eight o'clock in the morning again it was now like quarter to eleven I thought I need to do a map check so I thought right and I saw a sign barn off station so I walked over to the station I saw this map I thought I'll ask inside walked around the front of the station it wasn't open I was like this Jesus Christ here we go I went I went around the corner I just I had on that that German replica 1940 pack, which was packed full. It must have had about £30 in it. And it's as you can see here, with its leather straps, it's not the most comfortable. And I just looked up as if to say, oh, Jesus Christ, and looked down these railway uh, tracks. And as I looked up, I saw this German flag. But next to the German flag was a Swiss flag. Red flag, white cross. And just went went up. And I looked up and there's a Swiss flag. I thought, hang on a minute. Other side of the railway track, is that Switzerland? So I went back and I saw this lady. I said, Entschuldigung, bitte. Ist das 
excuse me, please. I went, in Julie's Ibiza, is das uh, Switzerland? She went, Swiss, yeah. And uh, Switzerland, is das Switzerland? Yeah, I went, um, Spraken's English bitter? Yeah. Is it Switzerland? Yes. Oh my God, I've made it. Where have you come from? Called it Sir Castle up near Leipzig. And I was like, oh my God, I've made it. And she introduced me uh, to this guy, uh, Damien, I think his name was, a Swiss guy, spoke excellent English. And I said, look, I've got to get to, I was off um, to actually stopping an old army mate who lives in uh, Switzerland. I have to get uh, to Zug and he showed me how to actually get a ticket and I got on this uh, train. Now, even though I'd had human contact, but I'd not spoken uh, to anyone, and I opened up a little piece of this uh, a chocolate as a celebration thing, had some water, and he asked me where I'd come from, and I told him. He said, oh, my God, what an adventure. Um, I've now raised up to, up to a £1,000 <laughs> the Royal British Legion awesome mate well done and that was it mate I mean it was just a fantastic journey and an adventure and it was I achieved all my goals but I think it showed that you know all these guys who did it if you talk now about escaping evasion everyone you know as soon as you say oh escaping evasion everyone thinks oh uh, special forces you know caught in an ambush all these guys were like gunners navy off subs artillery not fit and they just on all any rations but the will to escape get home you know it was just you know and I was in their footsteps almost and it just f f felt I felt humble really humble Mm. Awesome, mate. How long did the whole journey take from start to finish, from Colditz to to Switzerland? It took over twenty four hours, and even though I spent a night at the hotel, it was I slept and I didn't sleep. What do you mean? Because all my mind was going through all the route. It was going, right, I need to do this, I need to act, actually do that, I've got to go that route, I need to, I've got to go off to the left, off trying to memorise names and stuff like that. And you've done, obviously, escaping evasion exercises and stuff like that, you know, when you, you've had hardly any food and you're tired, you're not thinking straight. And you look at your watch, you think, hang on here, if I cover 4Ks an hour and all that sort of stuff, and it was just... It was interesting, yeah, you know, an, an um, uh, incredible experience, and you know, to all in the footsteps of these guys, who they must have felt when they get over to Switzerland, like, oh my god, I'm it was a neutral country. So, what was the process for them when they got to Switzerland? Then? Were they just give themselves to the authorities? Then, or when they got um, to Switzerland, they, they got took to the embassy at uh, Geneva, which unfortunately I wanted to, but it's closed down. Now it's in um, Zurich, but I went to uh, Geneva anyway. They went there. They actually ascertained who they actually were. 
they actually could have been a German spy. So they had to check them all out and everything like that. But then they got obviously debriefed. But they then they then had to get out of Switzerland. Airy Neve got took from Switzerland back into France, which was enemy occupied by the Germans, handed over um, to the um, the resistance. And there's a line that they um, set up for prisoners called the Comet Line. So they took them from France all over the Pyrenees, then into Spain, which was a neutral country. Agents met them in Spain. They then got them over the border of Gibraltar and then either troop ship or um, flown back to England. Then once they got back to England, MI9 had interviewed them at the Langard Hotel in London, at Marleybone. Get them in. Have a chat with them. What did you see? Right, what route? And that. What actually paperwork? What obviously checkpoints? Where's the good crossing point? Airy Neve was later involved in Operation um, um, Pegasus. Have you heard of that? Which one was that? Arnhem. Uh, Arnhem, yeah. Well, after Arnhem, there's all the prisoners who were trapped. They set up escape escape oh, lines. That wasn't Operation Pegasus, mate. That was Market Garden. No, no. After Operation Market Garden. I have my fucking mind going out thinking, have oh, I just got that wrong? No, no. Yeah, okay, so Operation Market Garden. But when obviously Market Garden obviously failed, they then set up Operation um, Pegasus, where MI9 went over to, I think, Holland, and they got all the guys across all the Rhine escape lines. So they sent parties over um, uh, to the Rhine and they guided all the prisoner all the escapees back. He was part of that. Who was that? Who was that guy talking about agents and double agents and stuff? Who was that dude who was a double agent for us and ended up he he, he parachuted back into the UK, didn't he? Garbo. What, who was it? Who was it? I thing? think. It, uh, are you on about Garbo? What was the operation called? I don't know the operation, but he was a German agent. Yeah. And, and they codenamed him Garbo. And they turned and he sent the Germans false information that there was um, a general um, pattern, had his army forming up at Norfolk. And they had inflatable tanks and f fake aircraft and landing craft and all fake um, signals. And he sent back fake information and the Germans had put spies in in over to Britain and they were they actually taken over to the um, the Tower of London and they were obviously given a choice of basically you'll work for us or send and send information back if not obviously spying is treason and it's execution but didn't he parachute back into the UK or something? Yeah. D didn't he? Yeah. For the Germans. Yeah. They parachuted him in and as if he was, like, secretly, didn't they? They yeah. chucked him out. They chucked him. I'm, I'm butchering the story. People will know this because yeah. it's a famous one. And then, yeah, and parachuted in, even though he was already turned at that point. So, yeah. He, he, yeah. 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 Crazy fucking stories. Second World War. Oh, God, Crazy, yeah. crazy stories. Just unbelievable. Different, different world that was. Wasn't it? I think it was more. In certain areas, it it was a more um, um, chivalrous uh, time. 
an actually used to have a gentleman's agreement in Colditz where they would obviously take all the officers that don't have to the gas tax, otherwise known as the actual pub, and have a drink, as long as they obviously didn't escape. The Germans and the British officers? Yeah. Uh, the Germans and the Dutch officers? No, uh, British. We'll take you over to the pub as long as you don't escape. The Germans said that to the British? Yeah. <laughs> How mad is that? And I mean, there used to be a dentist down uh, town as well, and they actually went down uh, to the dentist, and they had um, two guards, and it was a foggy evening. Right, one of them, he did a leg, he legged this, he ran off. Now I think all four of them did, they just went, poof, bomb bursted out. And they didn't want to shoot, because they might shoot, um, shoot as a civilian and stuff like that. <laughs> Some of the stuff that they thought of. Another one, he, he pole vaulted over the back fence. He just found a pole and he went right over the back fence. I wonder how many... It'd be, it'd be, imagine the conversations that go on between old, you know, POWs of the Allied POWs and German officers who they've relinked up with. Imagine that. Imagine I mean, that, that must be like... Imagine being a fly on the wall in those conversations. Oh, it's God. a bit like... Um, there's the story of the sub, there's a sub, a, uh, an Argentine, no, no, a British submarine commander and the Argentine, which was, was it the Belgrano? Yeah. And the Argentine captain of that ship. And they are in comms, aren't they? Yeah. There's a, I, I think, I might be wrong, but I think they've, they've given presentations on it together before. The sub commander and the fucking Belgrano captain. I might be wrong there though. When I was growing up, there was, um, there was a, a Second World War veteran, and his name was Gwyn. Um, uh, Welsh boy, obviously. And he was the navigator for a Lancaster. And yeah. it's the, it's the la then, back then, it was the only one, only Lancaster was still intact and flyable. It was called mm. Friday the 13th. Yeah. It might still, I would expect it's still in existence now. Yeah. Whether it's flying or not, I don't know. But he, his venom for anything German at a time when Lidl was coming about. There's a, he he lived in Krynant. Mm. Um, I'm assuming he's not alive anymore. This is 20 years ago. I might be wrong, though. And um, he lived in Krynant. And I remember um, a Lidl getting built, was built in Neath, the first Lidl in Neath, which loads of German produce and stuff. And I don't know. Is, is Lidl a German company? I think so, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's German, but loads of German produce. And uh, his missus didn't give a shit like about any of that. But it, she, he'd be like, "You don't give, you, you don't go there. You don't give me anything German." I remember she used to. There's this chocolate that he liked, and she only used, ever used to give it to him without the wrapper on, because it was this German chocolate from Little. He fucking loved it. She'd take the wrapper off and go, "There you go." But his, uh, he was a good guy. But yeah, he's like he, he was talking about people getting on there with, with their, the people they used to fight, and then you got like people like Gwyn, who just like. Could never, ever, but you can understand it. Yeah, you can understand having that uh, that utter contempt, utter contempt. You can understand it for someone who was there. Yeah, you know the utter contempt for what went on. But then I've always wondered. Are you, I mean, I've always wondered what what it's like to be a fly in the wall in a German household of a family, and that topic comes up. You know, with kids or in whatever context, just to, just to hear what it's like, because you know, just to hear what it's like, it's just like, 
I mean, a lot of the stuff that obviously came out of Colditch was also the, the, the actual flyers who they, they because obviously Dresden got obviously firebombed and we bombed a lot of cities and they bombed us. But for the flyer who got bailed out and he got caught, it had been taken through all the ruins. It had been ripped to shreds. And it was... I think that they saw two signs of the war. Now I know, obviously my obviously great uncle. He's me. He like knew a German guy who was a soldier in World War Two, and they got on great. They actually kept in touch, and you do hear about it. Without being in obviously politics into it, I don't think I want one to speak to an IRA obviously terrorist. And I wouldn't want to speak, and you wouldn't want to speak to a, you know, um, it was a different era. It was a, di it was, I won't say it was actually chivalrous, it, it wasn't a chivalrous, but it was like a soldier's war. I think I like. would, I would, I'd be quite happy to. I, so I actually, I say I'd be quite happy to. I, I have, over the last couple of years, uh, not for at least the year, but year before last, I was, I, I was putting the feelers out. To get someone from Northern Ireland mm. conflict, conflict, whatever you want to call it, campaign on, yeah. as in an IRA member, on to discuss, to discuss what I don't know, yeah. but that's what I thought. But then I don't know. But then I know that is a guy called uh, a journalist called Dom Nichols. He's ex uh, Power Rich, mm. but he's a journalist for. Oh, don't get this wrong. One of the broadsheets, yeah, right? Yeah. And he. Um, He's recently interviewed a convicted IRA murderer. Mm. Um, and uh, I know that he was... I know they set that up to go and interview this guy. And and, and the this guy... Uh, see, I'm not... I'm trying to be careful. I don't know if Dom... Yeah. If this story's gone out or whatever. Yeah. I've been released or anything. But I know that Dom was... Um, he was... He set this interview up with this guy who's a murderer and it was a high-profile incident. I'll tell you after, after the podcast. Okay. High-profile, right? At the time, what what happened. Obviously, British British soldiers. And um, he was quite apprehensive. He set it up and then he was quite apprehensive before and I wasn't even sure whether he should be doing it or not. You know, and uh, and it depends. I mean, those questions, it all depends on... The reason you want to talk to them, ignore mm. ignore journalists and podcasts and all that, right? Yeah. The reason you want to go in and talk to them, um, who it is you're talking to, you know, what 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 their feelings are on mm. what they did or didn't do and the situation of it all, because it probably wasn't the same as it, as it was back in the time when they did whatever they did or what they were took part in whatever mm. they took part in, whether it was an attack, whether it was a the, this, the victim of an attack, yeah. whether it was a fucking murder or whatever, I don't know. It depends what you want to get from it, and depends and certainly from a something where you put it out in a public domain perspective, like a podcast, like a news like a news story. Mm. You know, it depends what the the benefit is for the public receiving it. Mm. You know, it's a challenge, mate, because yeah. there were some topics, there were some organisations where. At the moment, if you went and you got one, got someone on to talk to them and gave them, give them a platform, you know that old expression. Oh, you give them a platform to talk. Him or her, give give them a platform to talk. Fucking hell, the kickback would be horrendous. The kickback would be horrendous. 
you know, I mean, well, having said that, when you talk about the Taliban, for example, arguably a lot, it'd be a lot easier to do now because they're almost getting some form of legitimacy mm. in the eyes of the public. It's been, they are, they are getting it. They are, they are, they are being legitimized in the eyes of the public mm. as a, as a voice, as an organization, a formal organization with, um, with, uh, which it doesn't seem like they're going to be made to go away anymore. Mm. You know, certainly we look at the way they've been treated. But what the fuck? <laughs> your, your studio. Just, the camera's on you when I do this. Your, That's the heat, that is. The, the, the. Right, if you can't see this, ladies and gentlemen, the studio is falling no, apart around the, uh, us as we no, speak. Don't say that. It's not <laughs> falling apart now. Let's see uh, if the piping contain all the cables. Because uh, it's got it warm in you. So the glue. Is, can I? Anyway, that's can, my excuse. Can I? You need to knock it on the head in a minute. Well, can I quickly tell you about the, the cold it's cock? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Hugh Keir has just gone silent all of a sudden. Uh, the words of the cold it's cock. So what just the brought the conversation down a notch. He's just gone down. What the cold it's cock was. One Have you been hanging on to this since the part of the podcast? Yes, I have. It's uh, the, the start, not the part. Yeah, the start it's, of the podcast, it's the pierce de resistance. So... One evening in Colditz, 1943, is the winter time. Two RAF officers looking out of the window, and they notice the snow isn't falling down. It's actually falling up due to the thermals. And it was in a blind spot right to the top in an attic. So an idea came about of basically having somehow they thought of building a glider to get two people out. And they nicknamed it the Colditch Cock. And it was made out of bed sheets, pizza, um, the bits of wood. They put a false wall up in the attic of Colditch to do all the the work. Now, there's now a strip of uh, tape on the floor where the false wall was. And according to our tour guide, Steffi, she said that people were actually going up there in the 1950s and 60s, and this false war was that well camouflaged that they didn't know it actually existed. How it was going to be done was they would assemble this glider, cut a hole out of the attic, then on the apex of the roof, put down tables as a runway. The body of the glider would go out, then they would assemble the actual wings on it. To launch the glider with these two guys in, Jack Best and Bill Goldfinch, one guy would sit, sit forward, one guy would sit um, right with his back. To launch it, they had a bathtub filled with concrete attached to a piece of rope. This piece of rope was then attached <laughs> to the nose of the glider. Oh my God. And the idea was that when they dropped the bathtub, it was on the on a pulley system, the the pulley system had to be double the speed of the glider. If not, the glider would take a nosedive. So what it was supposed to do was actually the bathtub would drop, the glider would go. This was all done in darkness, by the way. And they would have a release point and that to get it bang on. And there's now obviously trial and error on this one. 
and they worked out it would land all the side of the actual um, the river Mulder. Okay. It was obviously never used. Cold it's got uh, liberated in April of 1945 by the Americans. There was only one photo taken in the glider that they think it got uh, destroyed by all the townspeople. They did an experiment in 2003, built a glider exactly to the specifications. These guys went down uh, uh, um, uh, to the camp library and got a book on aeronautics and how aircraft fly. All the dialogue mentions built this glider, and it's the actual uh, plans are kept in the in, um, Imperial War Museum, and it was called the Pink Plans because it was done on actual pink paper, and it flew. It worked. It flew, but it it obviously never happened. But that's how ingenious these guys were. But it wasn't the fact of as well that it would. I want to escape in a glider. It kept the minds active. It kept them obviously busy and a hope. And it was a project um, to actually work on. You know, what can we do? Let's build a glider. What can we do? Let's start a tunnel. Right, who's up for it? <laughs> yeah, quality. Awesome stories. What's going to be your next trip, mate? Um, I don't know. I've got a few of the things in the pipeline sort of having to think of it now i think i've had a, I think i had a taste for it in cold it i had a taste for it in cold it um but i'll be doing obviously talks on cold it's all the money i raise from all the talks is going over um, um to the poppy appeal oh hang on so you are doing talks for people people are paying you to do talks for cold it's now after that trip yeah oh mega yeah mega how do people get hold of you um, I don't know yet. I'm still going through the Tossy Pro. Well, I know how to get older, me, but I'm still going through all that um, process. But if anyone's interested, I'll actually do a talk of my Colditch trip. Uh, but all the money from the uh, ticket of sales I make will be going t- towards the Royal British uh, Legion. I have been asked uh, by, I've got a contact out in Norway to give two 45-minute uh, talks on cold eats and the escaping, how they, more to point the escape for, um, I think, well, it's for, I think it's pilots of the Norwegian Air Force going through a SEER training, survival escape oh, cool. uh, and the resistive aid. If that comes off, it obviously comes off, it'll be a great... It'll be a great, obviously, um, thing and that. But, yes, I got... But you're on Facebook, aren't you? I am, yes. You're on Instagram? I am, yes. You're on Twitter? Yes. There we go. So people can get hold of you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter? They, they certainly can. And uh, LinkedIn as well. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn. There you go. Perfect. Easy peasy, mate. Lemon Easy peasy. Is she just giving pitch? Still open? It is, yes. It, it is. So how do people donate? Um, if you get in touch with me on any of those... I'll no, t- don't say that. That's a pain in the ass. Okay. Like, if someone searches if on you, Just Giving, what should they search for? If you type in Just Giving, Julian Woodall, Escape from Colditz, 2021. There you go. That'll I'll find come, it. That'll I'll find come it. up. There we go. Get online. It's, if it's still open, donate some money. Buy your poppies, obviously, and then get onto Woody's uh, Just Giving page and another way to give to the Royal British Legion. Definitely. A, fan- a fantastic organisation. Skills, Woody. Been a pleasure, mate. 
Thank you, Hugh. Until the next time. Until the next time. In another two years. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, dude. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Bye. That's it. If you enjoy the podcast, you you can become a H-Hour patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. Do that, and you get access to all of the podcasts for free. Uh, for free, <laughs> for freaking hell. You get access to all of the podcasts before anyone else, right? So this podcast, my patrons, got access to this podcast before you did, unless you listening are also a patron, right? Um, you also get access to exclusive interviews. There is an interview with Woody that happened before the actual podcast. It's about a 10-minute interview that only patrons get to listen to it is different it is structured around eight questions that the patrons chose it's good it's entertaining every guest has that you can get access to woody's one all of the previous ones and all of the future ones by becoming a patron you also get free uh there's free free giveaways every month and exclusive invites to events a monthly zoom q a all sorts of shizzle patreon.com forward slash hk podcasts if you're a patron listen to this Thank you for being a patron. And don't forget, your name is in the credits on the YouTube video of this podcast. If you're not a patron, become a flipping patron. It's a no-brainer. Thanks again to our sponsors, Combat Cigars, a British military-owned cigar company, the first of its kind, with incredible cigars. Three main blends, the Oath of Allegiance, the Victory, and the Last Post. They are robusto size. They are suitable for cigar connoisseurs, or people new to smoking cigars. There's also a fourth blend on the way. It's a longer cigar, but a narrower gauge, and it is called the Centre of Mass. That is inbound. Combatcigars.co.uk. Go there, check it out. When you think of combat, when you think of getting a cigar, okay, think, let's get a fucking combat cigar. Why get anything else? Buy, buy veteran-owned. Also sponsored the podcast with Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes raise money for military charities. They organise fundraising events. They organise fundraising events orchestrated around one or all of the following. Enjoying rugby. Drinking alcohol. Eating good food. Being with good people. Around good people. In the name of military charity. Their next event is coming up in January. You need to go to their website or on their social media to follow what's going down. I will see you there. At Rugby Number 4 Heroes on social media. Website is Rugby for Heroes. Also sponsoring the podcast today were the Development Society. Surround yourself with like-minded people who enjoy fizz, care about others and want to improve themselves on a daily basis. Chuck in a healthy amount of stoicism. That is you inside the Development Society when you sign up for their Daily Waves newsletter, which is free, go to devsoc, dot shop, put your email address in the Daily Waves newsletter, Daily Waves newsletter sign up box, put it in there, and that is you on step one of becoming a part of their society, which is also free. Easy peasy. Go to devsoc, veteran owned as well. Devsoc.shop, and on social media they are at the Development Society. Finally, sponsoring the podcast, 
with the Aardvark Group, providing advanced systems for protection and management of territories, borders, assets, and people for a global customer base. They provide a huge amount of support to military community. A significant proportion of their workforce are, in fact, ex-military. The Aardvark Group have been around for a long time. They are widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearance system in the world. They operate in dodgy parts of the world to make dodgy parts of the world less dodgy. They also have an online shop, where you can get kit and equipment for on the man, on the woman, if you work in hostile environments, post-conflict zones. Go to aardvark.group, go to the shop. When you check out, wherever you, when you go to check out with whatever you're buying, in a discount code option, put in H-H-O-U-R, and you'll get money off. Easy peasy, aardvark.group. Thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you especially to my patrons for supporting me via the, um, via the uh, Patreon. And thank you to the guest. Catch you next time. Out.